It's time for the annual membership drive for Neela, Illinois. Neela, Illinois' annual membership drive starts August 1st and runs through September 1st. Membership will make you a partner in the largest plaintiff-site employment law firm in Illinois. We are also offering a two-for-one deal. Refer a new member, and when that new member signs up and names you, both you and the new member will get half off your dues for one year. If you're interested, please visit www.neela-illinois.org. Again, that is www.neela-illinois.org in August. Thank you. Welcome to Employee to Lawyer, the employment law podcast presented by Neela, Illinois, the podcast that discusses the policies, regulations, and laws that affect our workplaces, presented primarily from the perspective of employee or plaintiff-side lawyers. We are your hosts, Amit Bindra and Max Barrett. We are members of the Board of Directors of Neela, Illinois, the Illinois chapter of the National Employment Lawyers Association, a nonprofit collection of attorneys who empower workplace rights. Welcome back to Employee to Lawyer. I am Max Barrick. And I'm Amit Bindra. And we're having back Amy Gardner, one of our one of our best friends and uh, a great colleague of Amit and mine. Amy, thank you for coming back. Uh, Amy is the one of the co-founders of Apochromatic, a coaching and consulting firm. Amy is a certified career development and career transitions coach. She's an incredibly impressive bio that is very that was very verbosely and in detail covered in our last interview. And I strongly encourage you to check it out there when Amit succeeded in making me choke on my words several times. In addition to co-founding Epichromatic, Amy worked at Skadden Arps, was a partner at Ungaretti and Harris, and was the Dean of Students at the University of Chicago Law School. She's also been featured in media, including uh, the American Bar Association publications, Bol- Bolsty, God, Corporate, a Glassdoor Health Monster, NBC, and Women's Running Magazine. Amy, after I've now succeeded in butchering the second of your bios, welcome back. <laughs> Thanks for having me again. So last time you were kind enough to talk to us about how COVID has impacted the legal profession and just sort of people working from home and just getting run down and burnt out by COVID, you know, and the, uh, the work from home situation generally. We want to talk to you a little bit more today about your unique career path going from being an attorney or a practicing attorney, I should say, and then into the legal academia world and then transitioning out of it. So you went from big law to, I guess we'd say mid-sized law to then academia, then to coaching. Why are you a reformed attorney or a rehabil- or recovering attorney? And how did you go from, how did you take this path? So it could be a very long story, but I'll give you the Cliff's Notes version, which is that I made partner. I had done a lot of the things you're supposed to want to do and looked around and thought, wait, this is it. And I had some fantastic experiences practicing law, was mentored by some great people, got to take plenty of depths, second chaired an $18 million jury trial that we won in Beaumont, Texas. I mean, I had a wide variety of experiences, but when I was, after I'd made partner, actually the same week, I was selected for this fellowship through the German Marshall Fund. And I was sent to with other, what they call emerging young leaders from the United States. And we traveled around, I went to five different European cities and I had asked to meet lawyers. And so I kept meeting these lawyers who were doing amazing things. And, you know, there was a lawyer from Philadelphia who was a war crimes judge in Sarajevo, or these young lawyers from the US who were working at NATO. And it was so inspiring. And then I came back and what the heck am I doing? And that maybe a week after I came back from that incredible experience, I went to a reception for the new dean at my law school, the University of Chicago. And Mike Schill was 
terrific. And around that same time, the Dean of Students left and a number of people said I should apply for the job. And I kept thinking, I'm a law firm partner. Why would I want to be a law school Dean of Students? And then talking with Mike, I realized I had opportunities to to do something and make a difference, the, the legal careers of students and help prepare them for law and the practice of law a little bit differently than I felt I had been prepared in terms of things outside the classroom. And so that's really as a Dean of Students, I developed my um, enthusiasm for and, and expertise in leadership training and development for law students and then lawyers, because as I enlisted law firms help with those efforts, again and again, they would say, gosh, I wish we had something for our associates like this. So and cool. so then that ended up with the leading to the transition to coaching. That's such a cool story in that you are one of the, you know, it's funny because you ask people, how did you end up in this? And usually it's like, well, there was no epiphany moment. I just started doing this and I kind of liked it or didn't like this or fell into it. You actually did have an aha moment. You, you mm-hmm. got to have this really awesome experience overseas, came back and were like, you know what? I need to make a change and good for you yeah. for doing it. That's cool, Amy. Well, I think it's, it's really cool courageous actually because you're you know a partner at a law firm and now you're going to go into academia it's it's awesome that's really cool that you are willing to make that jump and I think a lot of times we have these moments in our careers and we kind of tamp them down and you know I I could have been perfectly satisfied practicing law for another 10 years but I, I also know that I wouldn't be where I am now if I had done that and I think you know sometimes you you have to be willing to trust your gut and trust yourself and also have, be very fortunate, right? I had a, a, a spouse with a, a good job. And if, if it turned out that I didn't enjoy being a Dean of Students, I knew I could go back to practicing. And, you know, I, I had a lot of advantages that I appreciate being able to make, have made the decisions that I've made. I, I, I think that a lot of professionals, if they would listen to themselves, they know what they want. They just have to be willing to listen to it and hear it and act on it. Well, it's scary, right? Like it, inertia is a really powerful thing, especially when big life decisions come, right? Like what's comfortable may not be good for you. You know, nobody likes the situation. You're not nobody, but you're not happy in that situation. But that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, if you don't know anything else or you haven't seen anything else for so long, it's almost hard to imagine a life without the the terrible thing that you're tethered to. Yeah, it's, you know, I often think that if uh, more employers would throw binders at their employees, they would, people would leave, right? But you don't leave because it's, you know, it's death by a thousand paper cuts, right? And so if something really awful happened, you would know, okay, I've got to get out of here. And so when things like a layoff or when people get fired or things like that, in many ways, even though it can be a terribly traumatic experience, in many ways, it can be a gift because they shouldn't have been there. That's not where they were meant to be at that point. And sometimes it takes something really big to let you know. Or in my case, sometimes it takes a you know amazing experience in Europe to let you know that this is not what you're where you're meant to be. So then, how did you decide to transition from being dean of students at a law school to coaching and consulting? So I had wanted to leave the law school for a long time, and because I wanted to leave the law school for literally two years before I did leave. I had that a lot of time to explore what I wanted to do. And I had been working with the coaching team over at Booth, the business school, and worked with them on a mandatory 1L leadership development curriculum, basically that happened before the students started school that was modeled after what top business schools do. And at the time, no law school did to prepare their students. And so working with those coaches, I got to know more about coaching. 
and leadership development. And then one of the things that I was considering doing was professional development at a law firm. And in when I was interviewing for positions at law firms, I kept hearing from people who would say, you know, we could save a lot of money if we hired you. And the first time I was sort of awestruck in this interview and had no idea what they're talking about, just kind of like giggled and moved on. But the second time that happened in an interview, I said, what do you mean? And they said, well, because we pay consultants and coaches for so many things that you can do that we would save money by having you in house. And then the interviewer said, do you just need health insurance or why are you doing this? If I had your background, I'd be going out on my own. And so I thought, hmm. And ultimately I took a job with the American Constitution Society working remotely during the day in part to expand my network beyond Chicago and beyond the University of Chicago alumni, as wonderful as they are, there's only so many of them. And did that while I finished my master's degree and got my coaching certification and my husband and partner in the business, Keith, he was also getting his coaching certification. And that enabled me, us to have a time where I was working hard, but I was not working nearly the number of hours I was doing when I was the Dean of Students and doing the being a dean of students the way I was a dean of students, it was a lot of time. And so that, that gave me uh, the opportunity to, to make sure that coaching was really something I wanted to do and that the business would, would grow the way we hoped it would. So you I basically... just remain impressed that you and your husband can work together without killing each other. <laughs> Most <laughs> days, right? I mean, for anybody who knows me, you, you probably feel sympathetic towards Keith because you know, working um, with me all this time, and, and I think everything was different during the pandemic, right? For a lot of people, there's tensions when you're working with your spouse, but we're really fortunate that we have a lot of fun working together. And um, we learned very early on that we have different skill sets and there are things that Keith is excellent at that I should not, you know, have an opinion on things like, you know, graphics and things like that. I, let's just say, I don't have the same eye for design and I've learned that. And, um, you know, we, it, it definitely, I think a lot of people can relate to working with your spouse in close quarters now it is not always perfect, but we're very fortunate to get to work together and have a good time doing it. Well, I also independently love how you had two Eureka moments. You had the first one overseas and the second one in the middle of an interview, which is incredible. So besides being able to work with your husband, what is your favorite or the thing you enjoyed most about coaching and consulting? I had a law student who, after he graduated, sent me a note addressed to Oracle Amy and said that um, one of my strengths was being able to see his future before he could, because he had had a, a setback in law school and, and felt like it was never, his career wasn't going to turn out the way you'd hoped it would. And that's a, something that I really like using that skill of being able to help people see possibilities, right? I may not be able to see their futures, but I am able to help them identify the strengths that they have and the skills that they have to offer and how they can apply them to roles that they may not have thought of or considered for themselves. So that's one thing I really like. And another thing that I really enjoy is when we're working with teams, helping people get realigned and start to appreciate why they're working together, why they're doing what they're doing, and find a greater purpose that they may not have, have um, appreciated before, or they may need help to see again. It's cool that you've been able to find, I mean, you've got all these different stories where you've found meaning in these different jobs. And I, I, now I forget, forget not being able to tell days apart. I can't even tell when we had this discussion, but at some point during one of our two interviews that we've done, you talked about being able to help people find meaning in a job, even where they may not be happy, but you've been lucky enough to find meaning 
at every stop, it seems like to, to me, which is a cool, that's a cool thing to be able to say. Yeah, I think that um, when you can understand that even if a job isn't the place you want to be the rest of your life. So for example, I spent a summer working at um, multiple jobs, but one of my jobs was working at a go-kart park when I was in college and um, working at a restaurant at night and they were owned by the same family. So it actually made sense at the time, but you know, working at Crazy King Ludwig's Adventure Park was not going to be the be all and end all of my resume. On the other hand, that job allowed me to minimize my college debt, right? And it got made me better at customer service. And, you know, I got to sell go-kart tokens to Randy Travis. And so I think there's always something that you can take from a job, whether it's, you know, the skills that set you up for something else, or maybe it helps you advance a goal. And so that's something that I've always, I think, been, been good at figuring out, you know, what, what are the things that I'm adding to my toolbox in a, in a role. And you, sometimes it can be hard when it's you, I mean, it can be a lot easier for somebody who's on the outside. Yeah, but you've, you know you've had all these different jobs. I mean, you know, hearing you talk about you've worked on political campaigns, you've had jobs where you've had to be customer service facing and in, in probably at times thankless jobs. Right. And, and, and worked in big law and done all of this like that, that molds you into the person you are, right? Like you don't get to be Amy, Amy Gardner, co-founder of Epichromatic with the skill set if you don't go through all of that. Yeah. I think that, um, we never know, you know, when we're 16 or 18 or whatever it is, 22, picking a job, how it's, how things are going to change for us down the road. And I'm really fortunate in that I had good bosses who taught me important life lessons and had opportunities to have sometimes crazy summer jobs that, that really were influential for me. And um, certainly growing up in Iowa, when you're um, a kid in Iowa with an interest in politics, it becomes very easy or much easier, I would say, to get a job on a political campaign. So I've been very fortunate. Before, I think it's a smart lesson too, to say, or to try to identify what tool you're adding to the toolbox in each scenario. I don't think enough people do that type of audit in each situation. Before yeah, we move. Sorry, when you're a yeah. brainer, I think too, when you're preparing for job interviews, it could be really helpful to go back through your resume and look at you know what you've learned and be ready to explain that. No, that's, it, it, it's cool. I was going to say something else and now I can't remember. So it can't have possibly sorry. been that. No, <laughs> God, please. No, it was going to be a bit joke. Of, I'm sure it was going to be a stupid joke about the Wisconsin Dells. And if you remember the ducks, but that's okay. Absolutely. That was the glamour job. <laughs> I, I remember I got to ride the ducks. I went to summer camp up there and I rode up front with them. I remember cracking my head pretty hard when you go down the AT, not like blood or anything. I just hit it, but it wasn't that interesting. Steve, don't print any. Of oh that. no, we got to keep that. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> I, sometimes I think you do things on this podcast just to torture me. You're getting to know me a lot better. Yeah. All right, man. You, this next bit's your uh, your jam. You want to dive right in? Yeah, let's do this. So we want to do something a little bit different. We're going to do some rapid fire questions. And I think, and we'll alternate. I think each of these questions could easy be, easily be like a 30 minute discussion. What we want to do is limit you to a 30 second answer um, as much as you can. So basically question, immediate gut reaction, and we'll move on to the next question. So we'll start first. What do you think, or sorry, how do you drive employee engagement in 2021? Well, first you hire apochromatic. That's a, the obvious answer, right? But well, besides that, <laughs> besides that, you get people refocused on the mission, goals, and values of the organization. And if you don't already have those, you work with your team to develop them and you make them that an important part of, of the work environment. So next one, what is a fun fact about you that people do not know and you are not allowed to use the Wisconsin Dells work or the go-kart work? So you're going to have to come up with a third. 
Or the fact that you met a judge in in Europe who was working on war crimes. Prosec- he was he was making decisions on on them. He was not actually committing them. Yeah. So I, I think one in, <laughs> one fun fact is that I I grew up in Iowa where everybody detassels in the summer, but I'm actually allergic to corn pollen. So that is the real reason that I ended up in the Wisconsin Dells working is because I couldn't detassel. I what is detasseling for those of us who don't know? you have to go into a farm field and work very, very hard, long and, and filthy hours removing the tassels from the corn. That last answer could be a 30 minute conversation easily. It could be its own podcast, but I, I think under the rules, we have to move on. Why should law firms have a mission statement? I think law firms should have a mission statement because it gives them something. It gives the, the team something to rally around, whether that team is 1500 people or that team is four people. And it enables everybody to reconnect with what you're doing and why you're doing what you're doing, which we know is particularly important with millennial employees, but is really something that's important to all employees. Who is your favorite political leader? Ooh, we can get Amy into trouble on this one. So you could, but I, I think that I, my favorite political leader actually would be Abner Mikva, who sadly passed away several years ago. And Judge Mikva, for those who don't know, is an amazing guy. You should Google. There's actually a, a documentary that's out about him that was on Frontline. And Judge Mikva was a U.S. representative from Illinois. He was the chief judge on the D.C. Circuit, and he served as White House counsel. So he served really at the upper echelons of all three branches of American government and was really a mentor and hero to me. That's so cool that you got, I know we're breaking the thing, but now I got a fanboy because that's so cool that you got to know Abner Mikva like that. He's awesome. My second Amy's plug. And I'll also plug Judge Wayne Anderson, who's a federal retired federal judge, Northern District. I'm lucky enough to know. And he's a Republican. And he always used to say, he, he spoke glowingly of Abner Mikva, who was not, and said, my job when he was running for office and doing all of that, he said, my job was never harder than when Abner Mikva was organizing or, or working on the other side because it was... Mm. He was just such an ethical guy in the city of Chicago. So that's awesome. That's fantastic. All right. Fanboy, fanboy moment over. <laughs> I'm going to stick to the rules. What's the best advice you have for employees when preparing a resume? Well, I think everybody knows you got to proofread, 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 give it to somebody else to proofread, proofread, proofread. Try saying that six times fast. It's also really important though, to focus on how you're going to contribute to the new employer. So it's often people will just say all these things that they did at their past employer, and that's fantastic and important information, but make sure you're relating it to the next job, ideally through the language used in the job description and and making sure you're finding ways to to, uh, demonstrate the impact that you've had through things like numbers of employees supervised or revenue brought in, all of those things that help make it real for the person reviewing reviewing your resume. I'm going to violate the rule now too. I think proofread offer or cover letters too is super valuable. Absolutely. So often it's very clear that people have had um, help on the resume and not on the cover letter. We actually have a, a business called Resume Redo that's under Apple Chromatics umbrella. And that is one of the most common mistakes we see is that people say, oh, I can handle the cover letter, but I'll need help on the resume. And boy, that cover letter is really important in, in some instances. Also know your writing sample. If you're submitting something as a writing sample, be able to explain the context behind it. Yep, good point. Yeah, and, for sure. And maybe don't go to the plaintiff's side and submit a defense brief about what you know what a scumbag the plaintiff was in that case, right? It, right. Yeah. Know your you audience. Don't, you don't want to offend the offend the reviewer when they're reviewing your writing sample. Is that bad? Amy, mine, my, my, I'm up now. What is the best way to empower women in the law? 
I think the best way to empower women in law is to give equal opportunities and, and to, to think about you know, what that really means. It's not just about giving job offers equally. It's also about who you're inviting to, to go to court and have the argument and making sure that you're giving everybody the same opportunities. I think another way to empower women in law is to mentor young women and to make sure that they have the support. So not just the number of depositions they're offered versus their male colleagues, but also how much their careers have been fostered and encouraged. What's the best tip you have for presenting on Zoom? Bring your energy. I think people often forget. I mean, we know, we've probably seen the statistics, right? That Zoom cuts off whatever percentage of your energy it is based on the study they're looking at. But it is, it's such a mistake that people, you might have a perfect background and you might have great slides and followed all the advice on those types of things, but people get on Zoom and somehow it's like their soul gets sucked out and they just are kind of sitting there and that's not so helpful. Have you not heard of the Zoom curse that sucks your soul out if you spend X amount of hours in front of it during a pandemic? You can tell I, I just uh, watched a Harry Potter movie the other day. <laughs> the, I do love the, your background. Your background is awesome. Uh, thank you. Thank you. I, I have spent a lot of time on my background and adjusting my background based on the seasons and all that. I mean, when you look at it all day and other people get it all day, you want it to, uh, to be as good as it can be. So, so thinking forward past the pandemic, what is the next trip you plan to go on? Or maybe during, I don't know. Hey, this is Ahmed and Max. Thanks for listening to Employee to Lawyer. I hope you're all enjoying the show and the content and all of our guest stories. And we'd love your help in spreading news about Neil Illinois in the show. Please encourage your friends and family to subscribe and share. And if you happen to listen to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and a nice review. But only if it's going to be a five-star rating. Yeah, otherwise we're all set. Well, two years ago, and so in 2019, my husband, mother-in-law, and I booked a crazy inexpensive deal to visit China. And that trip has been delayed, delayed, delayed. And so um, I'm really hopeful that we will be able to, to get there before 2021 is out and then it will not need to be delayed yet again. That would be an awesome trip. I hope I'm, I'm really excited for it. I hope it happens. How does someone know that the job offer is the right offer? You want to think before you've even applied for a job about what you're looking for and do that advanced work. We often start our clients with values work. We talk about character strengths, really look at what the job, what you want from the job before you know what a particular role entails. And then when you are getting distracted by the excitement of a job offer and knowing that somebody really wants you and appreciates you, and often there's more money involved and those sorts of things that you don't get distracted by all of that and can focus on what you want. Or muffin baskets, right? Right, right. Do not let yourself get distracted by baskets of muffins or edible arrangements. Send them to me instead and just focus on your scorecard. What can Amit and I do to improve or develop our leadership skills? So one thing that I think can be really helpful is to, to figure out how you learn best and then do that. So a lot of people learn best by reading books. And so they'll decide to read books on leadership and that can be helpful. Another thing is to look at the people around you and who you're spending your time with, right? That, you know, you you probably heard the line that you're the product of the five people you spend the most time with. So who are the leaders that you are spending time with and what do you have to learn from them and make sure that you're spending time with people who can teach you. Another is to seek out mentoring and you can also learn by mentoring others for sure, but make sure that you're being mentored and, you know, look for opportunities to really be intentional about your leadership because one mistake I see a lot of attorneys make is they think, well, I'm going to go to the law firm's leadership 
program and they don't have coaching. So I must not need it because the law firm decides. And remember that your leadership skills are things that you take with you in whatever role you're in, whether it's a board or a different job. So really be intentional about trying to develop your leadership skills and seek out feedback to help you know what areas to focus on. What is one piece of career advice that sticks with you? Show up. Right. So whether that's showing up at the the funeral of a colleague's parent, or that is showing up to encourage a colleague when they have a hard argument or showing up to check on them to see how they're doing when they're really, really busy, just show up as much as we appreciate being virtual now and those sorts of things, showing up, whether in person or a text or a phone call, if we you know still use our phones for that, being present and, and engaging with the people around you is really, really important. That's really good advice. I think that applies past the career, right? Showing up that, that, that I think applies across the board. That was the advice my debate coach gave me when I was in college, just show up to class. I had uh, my brother-in-law had a graduation this weekend and the Dean of, I don't remember who it was, but somebody said, there's a dirty secret that the world is run by people who just like most of the, I don't remember what the phrase is, but essentially something to the effect of the world is run by people Mm -hmm. who just show up because if you don't show up, like, you'd be shocked at how few people show up to actually do anything. All right. I derailed it again. Where, what can attorneys do to avoid imposter syndrome? My favorite tip for avoiding the imposter syndrome is first of all, you should go to apochromatic.com. We have lots of blog posts on the imposter syndrome, including link to a free webinar that we did for the ABA on it. But one quick tip to address the imposter syndrome is to tell yourself yet. And what I mean by that is rather than saying, I don't know how to do that, say, I don't know how to do that yet. And that is something that you can use with, with your kids, that, with your colleagues, just shifting the focus to from what you can do right now to what you'll be able to do in the future really helps change your mindset. So besides this one, what's your dream podcast to go on? Well, and see that that's the problem is that, that you said besides this one. So I would say we can do hard things with Glennon Doyle or Harvard Business Reviews podcast would probably be, would be my dream. But you know, I'm sure that they would both fall short after getting to talk with you guys. Oh, Amy. So Amy, this is probably going to run in the fall, but anything you'd like to plug that you have coming up later in the year, something you're unrolling, you know, later on that you think might be useful or just about what you in 2022. So I invite folks to connect to me on LinkedIn or shoot me an email at amy at apochromatic.com if you'd like to join our email list. And we will be doing another goal setting uh, retreat to help people start off the new year. So get in touch with me if that's something that you're interested in. We have lots of free things that we offer to people on our email list, including our virtual co-working, get stuff done days, our quarterly at least virtual happy hours for people to, to network and have some Um, time to commiserate and meet some new people, as well as lots of free webinars that we do at least quarterly on a variety of career related topics. So invite people to connect. I'll vouch for Amy's LinkedIn presence or Epichromatic's LinkedIn presence, I guess I should say. They do have a lot of cool, is it daily? Uh, Every Tuesday, there's a video. Every Thursday, there's a blog post. And then there's usually some content other days too. Yeah. The email listserv is really, really cool. They do have a lot of good, useful tech, just tips and ideas or just sort of forward thinking thoughts to imprint in your brain you. and the LinkedIn stuff is always interesting. And, and Amy does a lot of cool speaking stuff. So it's, it's always worth it. She's worth Thank a follow. You. And that's, that's my millennial plug. That's as good as I'm going to get on social media. So remind us one last time, how to, did we just, do you just told us pretty much how to find you, didn't you? All right, cool. Now you can tell them it's been a day anyway. God help me. Oh, we got to keep all of this, this up. up. <laughs> Being Steve, the bloopers real. So help me. There is no bloopers real. It's like the end credit scene from Rush Hour. We definitely have to do an episode of that.
I give us a lot that we can work with. So I'm sure we can find something between Burley and Daria derailing our second Catherine episode, Burley ripping a hole in a mat she was using a few minutes ago and everything else. I'm sure we'll find something. Anyway, Amy, thank you for coming you for on. It's me. always so much. For, it's such a fun excuse to have a chance to catch up with you. Check out Amy at Ampochromatic.com. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe and share. Our podcast is intended to provide general overviews of employment law. The statements and opinions provided in this podcast are just that, the host's opinion. We are not your attorney. This podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship, and it's not intended to provide specific legal advice. For legal questions, please consult with an attorney.